Welcome to OAC Vancouver's podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We believe that Jesus is needed and relevant for people in Vancouver today. The message of God's love and promise of wholeness was destined to be experienced within a faith community that worships, studies scripture, and prays together. We warmly welcome you to journey with us towards greater connection, purpose, and peace. We'll be sharing our recorded services and conversations with health and wellness experts. Enjoy. Good morning. Happy Sabbath. Merry Christmas. I'm so delighted that so many of you braved the weather conditions to join us today and um, that you're all here, distance, mask wearing. For those who are watching at home, we respect your decision to um, play it extra safe and take whatever precautions you feel necessary. And um, we're just so glad um, that we could share, whether we're online or in person. And that's thanks to our incredible volunteers. So I have to acknowledge the worship team, our live streaming team, Grimaldo, who is shoveling the sidewalk for those of you to get inside the church without snowy boots. Thank you so much. And thank you to those who um, have made OAC's worship, worship of God today with us, part of your Christmas morning. It hasn't been since 2010 that Christmas Day fell on a Sabbath, and it's about as rare for snow to fall on Christmas. So I think this is a very special edition of Christmas and a very special edition of Sabbath. As we read our key text today from Luke 2, of course we wanted to um, have a bit of a Christmas production in a nativity, but with the COVID restrictions and people traveling who missed traveling last year, we had to call on some backup participants to help tell the nativity. So um, here we go with some uh, creatures you might be familiar with um, here at OAC. Luke 2 verse 8 says, and that night there were in the fields near Bethlehem shepherds guarding their flocks of sheep. When an angel of the Lord appeared um, in the splendor, the glory, your translation might say, of God surrounded them. And as um, Oscar read, we know that the message was of good news and great joy. And here's the text I want you to hone in on. This special part of the message, because we tend to sing about the good news, we tend to sing about the great joy, the peace on earth for all. But this is a special statement that the angels relay to the shepherds. They say, and this will be a sign that you will find the baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. Pay attention to this sign, because so often we think about it as a sign of where they will find this infant Messiah, this newborn king, this redeemer, the savior they had been longing for. But I want to suggest to you today that it's not so much a sign about where or which one of the crying babies that night would be the Messiah, but this sign is much more rich. This is more about how you will know this baby is the promised Messiah, and this will be a sign of his character, a revelation of this deliverer. In the Jewish Mishnah, we get some 
information that would lead us to believe the shepherds in Bethlehem were not just any old shepherds, but they were shepherds who tended the flocks of sheep that were used for the daily sacrifices. And these sheep, according to the Old Testament laws that were brought as a sin offering or as a Passover lamb, had to be without blemish, uninjured. So if we look at kind of some traditional practices of the shepherds, we can imagine, although there's no biblical evidence or proof of this, but we can imagine that these shepherds were familiar with the practice of bundling up newborn lambs, especially when they are got weak, you know, their wobbly legs. That's where they're most vulnerable to falls and injuries and damaging their bodies. So there is a practice of binding or bundling up these newborn lambs until they help gain their strength and to also protect them so that they don't become blemished and injured if they're meant to be an offering. So there's a bit of legend, a bit of speculation that is this the significance of the sign that the shepherds would recognize the Lamb of God wrapped in swaddling cloths, laying in a manger, hay which would have fed these sheep. Well, whether the legends and the stories are true or not, as special as it might seem to, to get that early indication of a good shepherd that has come for his people, I think the more powerful part of this sign of who God is, who the Messiah is, is that he's accessible. You're going to find him, the angels say. You're going to find him laying in a feed trough in an open barn. These shepherds would not have to go door to door in Bethlehem in the middle of the night every time they heard a cry to say, is, is this the Messiah? Is this the one the angels told about? He wasn't enclosed. He wasn't hidden. He was exposed, snuggled and kept warm by the strips of cloth that swaddled him. But he was easy to find. There was nothing blocking their line of sight to this cry coming from a barn, a stable. To me, that's the most powerful part of the sign. You will find him wrapped in swaddling clothes. But this is not the only sign of our nativity story. We have uh, in the sky another brilliant indicator that human history, the earth's history has just passed a radical milestone, has just experienced a tremendous shift. And that is a star. A star has appeared and it's shining over Bethlehem. And there are signs in the stars that have prompted wise men, magi, sages from the far east. And they know this is significant. They know that this has meaning beyond anything that's ever happened in the world's history. And while we don't get many texts about what that journey was like for them, um, we can then employ our imaginations. And um, thanks to the Skik guys, they have given us a little snippet of what may have occurred on the road from the east to Bethlehem. So here's a quick video um, that I'll share with you. Let's take a look if we're ready on sound and lights. Let's dim the lights for those in-house. And we're good. Here we go.
thought you said we lost him. I found you all! Thank goodness for that star. If it weren't for that star, I wouldn't have found you guys. Pretty convenient that now you can read the stars. Oh no, just that big super bright one. I mean, it's like, blam! But I'm still gonna need directions home. Can someone write that down for me? We don't have time for this. We're going to see the Messiah. Look at us, the four wise men. We're inseparable. More like insufferable. Speaking of suffering, my feet can't take much more walking. It's been three years. We should have been home by now. You guys can blame me all day for losing those camels, but you all knew going into this that my double hitch knot needed a little work. <clears throat> Why don't we proceed in silence, reverent silence, in honor of the Messiah? Totally cool with that. Good. So, I was thinking about my gift. I mean, what baby needs white jade anyway, right? <laughs> We've been over this a thousand times. White jade represents his purity and goodness. The gold represents his royalty. The burning of frankincense reminds us that the aura of God is around us at all times, and the myrrh is to anoint him as king of kings. Right, 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 right. just listen, listen, I think. I think I found a better gift. A gift that'll make everyone forget that I lost the white jade. You what? I mean, I think a gift that makes the white jade just look like nothing, a gift that's better than the white jade that I replaced. You replaced with what? The greatest gift of all. Oh yeah. Wait for it, wait for it. Blam! Hummus! <laughs> you must be kidding. Do you mean you must be kidding? Because I'm not, I'm not kidding at all. Hummus is delicious, okay? And, and it's very, it's very symbolic. People unite together when they see hummus. Much like a savior. Okay, okay. This is my bad, this is on me. You guys go see the Messiah, I'll just stay here. I think that would be best, but at least you have a snack. Yeah. I just thought it just doesn't matter what we bring this little king. He doesn't need any of our gifts. I mean, you know, he's a savior. I mean, he's a he's a gift to us. Maybe I was hoping he's bigger than all my mistakes. Yeah, I guess that's what I was hoping. All right, I'll see you guys later. Why are you doing that? Because I hope he's that kind of a savior too. Let's go. I wish someone had some pita bread. Blam! Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
the actual arrival of these magi from the east is itself, they themselves were fulfilling a sign, a prophecy that we find in Isaiah, actually a mention again in Psalm 72, that there would be kings from afar who would come and bow down and worship the king of kings, and it actually mentions them bringing gold and frankincense. So their very gifts, their very presence of these worshipers from afar was a sign of who this child is, but the gifts they brought as well. When they showed up in Jerusalem, they knew that they were looking for a born king, not a king who would become, who was born, who they knew would later be king. They knew that they were there to see a true king, a king designated as such from his birth. And it's interesting to me that they waltz right into Herod's palace, who Rome has set up as a king or a ruler over this territory. And they know right away, this is not the guy. This is not the one they seek. They're seeking the true born king and not just of the Jews, but the king of kings, the king of the world. And so they bear with them gold. Gold, as you heard in the skit, is a reference to royalty. This is a king's gift. And we read in 1 Kings that actually King Solomon, when he um, built the temple of God, everything was overlaid with gold to represent God's royalty, to represent his sovereignty, to represent his purity. Along with the gold, they bring frankincense. Now, frankincense is kind of like a, a sap uh, from trees. It's actually from, let me have it here, the Boswellia sacra tree. And how they collect this rare frankincense, at the time, it was worth the equivalent of gold because it was a painstaking process to tend to these trees. You had to be very careful to steward the resource and not to kill the tree because you would have to slash it and damage the outer bark and it could only sustain so much abuse before the tree dies. But as the tree pours out the sap to heal its wounds, you get this resin and this resin was used in spiritual ceremonies. In fact, we read about it being used for Israelite ceremonies in Leviticus, where we know in the holy place of the tabernacle, next to the showbread, Leviticus 24 tells us there is a pot of frankincense. And it also was a surprising connection for me when I was doing some research about frankincense in scripture that Daniel, the prophet who met with King Nebuchadnezzar's wise men, maybe where the seed was actually planted in the Far East for about these prophecies about the coming Messiah who would be this boulder hurled from heaven and smash all these oppressive earthly kingdoms. Well, when King Nebuchadnezzar heard Daniel's interpretation of his dream, it says in chapter 2 that he gave him offerings, including fragrant incense, in honor of this God, this most powerful God. So we see that the wise men are bringing frankincense, 
because they themselves are spiritual sages and they recognize that this is not just someone, a Messiah, to be king, like a governmental king. They recognize that his authority, his lordship is spiritual. They recognize that they are also um, coming to worship who will be our high priest. And when they bring this frankincense, I'm wondering if they were familiar with Isaiah's prophecy about the wounded, suffering servant who would be Messiah. The one that Isaiah wrote was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Because that is the very process of making frankincense. These trees were pierced to produce something beautiful. And frankincense would be this agent of healing, this agent this, of fragrance, as uh, the skit said, that reminded us of God's presence. It's a strong, piney kind of smell that is so distinct. And even though you cannot see God's presence, there are other senses that he gives us to confirm and be aware that he is near. So you have gold as the king's gift. You have frankincense as the priest's gift. And you have myrrh, which I think is fitting of a gift for a wounded warrior. Myrrh itself is also a medicinal resin from a plant. And it was often in those days carried into battlefield and into the gladiator, the Roman gladiator arenas. Myrrh had sort of like anti, um, uh, antibacterial coagulator properties, and so it was used as a first aid treatment. They recognized, or maybe they were divinely inspired, to bring this gift of myrrh to whom would be our greatest warrior and a wounded warrior. Myrrh is a substance mostly associated with suffering and death. It was also frequently used for embalming or preparing the body for burial. We again find that myrrh is referenced in the Old Testament in Exodus 30, where we read about these spices of myrrh and cinnamon and fragrant sweet cane that are used to anoint the tabernacle, the house of meeting God. And in Mark 15.23, as we read about the closing moments of Jesus' life, it says a soldier lifted up to him a sponge that was mixed with wine. And some of your translations might say vinegar, but actually if you go back to the original language, it's quite likely it was wine mixed with myrrh to numb the pain, but he would not take it. Myrrh is the gift of our wounded warrior, the Messiah, the Savior, who was beaten for our transgressions, who bore the weight of our sin, but it's also the gift for a victorious warrior. And so these precious gifts that came from the Far East over a treacherous and long passage were gestures that these wise men could muster as they came before this King of Kings to worship him. 
I'm sure they scoured their treasure houses for the most meaningful, the most significant gifts. And at Christmas time, don't we remember the gifts that we've been given that we know cost the most? And I don't always mean in terms of monetary cost, but when you know somebody went to great lengths to source out a rare spice to put in uh, cookies or to make you a favorite dish that has the flavors of home that you miss, and it took them a lot of effort to scour and source or, or those family dishes that take hours of slow simmering. The cost is not always financial, but the cost comes with effort and intention, and it makes the value of the gift so much more precious when you know what it costs. So what could we give to show God how much we love him? What could God give us to show how much he loves us? He could provide us with the wealth of, of all the animals on the hills. It says they are his. He could just make more, though. Would that really cost him anything? He could provide for us all the gold and diamonds that are buried in the mountains, but with the snap of his finger, if he has fingers, or the word of his breath, he could create more diamonds and more gold for us. Instead, the only thing that would bankrupt heaven would be to give a piece of God himself, would be to give the heart of heaven. And so God bankrupts heaven's throne by giving his very heart to be born incarnate, born a human. And Jesus becomes the ultimate gift, a God made into human form. And not just that, not just to experience what it is to be confined in flesh and blood, but to live a life of rejection to live a life of mistreatment, to live a life of abuse, to live a life going upstream and against the current, to not be owed, to not be granted the respect that he deserved, to not be honored as the king he was, to not be revered as the true priest he was, to not be honored as the true wounded warrior that he was. And so Jesus comes not just to empathize in our humanity, but to suffer and die on our behalf. God has given us every spiritual blessing, everything possible, every power, every strength, every blessing, every value he could in the gift of Jesus. And so when we receive Jesus, when we open our hearts and prepare him room, we receive the best gift ever orchestrated, the most costly gift in the universe. And so what is our response? What could we bring him to reciprocate this gesture of love and sacrifice? We bring our recognition. We bring our trust. Just as the wise men or the magi did more than 2,000 years ago, we bring our worship. That is the greatest gift we can offer in return for heaven's bankruptcy. So this Christmas, I don't want to 
miss the opportunity for you to take time and say, wow, have I really digested, have I really understood the cost of the gift of Jesus? And have I really prepared enough room in my heart? Have I really opened my time, my schedule, my talents to share my worship, to share my praise, to share my recognition, and to share the story? Going back to the Gospel of Luke, it says, when the shepherds had seen the baby, just as the angels had told them, they couldn't keep quiet. They told everyone they had, and everywhere they went, they were praising God and saying wonderful things about him. What will happen when Christmas is over? What will happen when Sabbath is over? Are we going to return to our homes, to our work, to our study, what we were doing the previous week without carrying the praise of this incredible gift with us? Are we going to also say, the angels were right. I have a source of good news and great joy. There is hope and peace for all the earth. To anyone who would find favor with God, to anyone who would open their hearts and receive him as their king. We were delivered and rescued, and we have a promise of his soon return. And just like the people on the dark, silent night, in hindsight, we want to yell back, we want to reach back through time and say, it seems hopeless, the government seems oppressive, the prophets seem silent, but there is a voice that's about to speak. There's a baby that's about to be born. There is new hope that's about to be offered. Born to you this day in the city of David, in the house of the bread is the bread of life. And he is our king, he is our priest, he is our wounded yet victorious warrior. It wouldn't be Christmas without giving some gifts. And so today I'd like to invite you to come and take a gift, a reminder of who Jesus was born to be. Your king, your priest, your victorious warrior. Up front we have a plate that has little samples of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And while the band comes out and begins to prepare us for our closing song, I want to invite you, if today you want to say, yes, I want the gift that Jesus has to offer. I want to be reminded every single day who my king is, who my priest is, who my victorious warrior is, who my hero, my rescuer, my savior Please come forward and take a little gift of gold, frankincense, and myrrh with you to keep and hopefully to cherish and inspire you that we have received the greatest gift. And all we need to do in return is receive it. Amen. Thank you for listening to OAC Vancouver's podcast. Learn more at oacvancouver.ca. If you're in Vancouver, join us for worship Saturdays at 11 a.m. at 5350 Bailey Street. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. God bless you and have a wonderful day.